Hi there, I'm Lori Hellman, a mom to an incredible young adult son on the autism spectrum. My goal when creating the Living the Sky Life podcast three years ago was that the content of each episode bring hope, connection, and some valuable takeaways to each listener. The special needs parenting village is large, so you should never feel like you have to travel this journey alone. If you haven't already, please connect with me through my website, Facebook page, or Instagram account. And let's keep the conversation going after each episode airs. If you are enjoying the podcast and are listening on Apple iTunes, please leave a rating and written review and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for tuning in and subscribing to season three of Living the Sky Life. Welcome back to Living the Sky Life. My guest today, Shelly Henley, is not unlike other special needs parents who want their children to grow up to be happy, fulfilled people, living the life they want while enjoying their work and feeling validated. So with a lot of hope and hustle, Shelly and her husband decided to make her son's dream of becoming a chef a reality while also giving other people's children an opportunity for meaningful work as well. In 2018, No Label at the Table Food Company was founded in Carmel, Indiana, and Shelly's autistic adult son, Jacob, became Chef Jay. Please enjoy my discussion with Shelly about how her idea came to be reality and its thriving business, No Label at the Table. All right. So welcome back to Living the Sky Life. Um, I have a special guest with me today. Her name is Shelly Henley, and she runs a company called uh, No Label at the Table up in Carmel, Indiana. So welcome to the podcast, Shelly. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Well, there are a lot of things I want to get into um, about your incredible son, Chef Jay. Um, But I want to take you back a little bit. Now, how old is uh, Jay at this point? 25. 25. Okay. I knew he was in his 20s. Um, So taking you back a little bit to um, the autism diagnosis and just how autism, the term entered your world and entered your life. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Prior to Jacob being diagnosed, the only picture, and this is, you know, 25 years ago, the only picture of autism I had was I saw a short film in a psychology entry to psychology class when I was an undergraduate. I had seen The Rain Man, and then I remember there being a TV show on when I was really young about doctors, and at the end, it was all a creation of this kid with autism. I can't remember what, but it was a medical drama. Those are the only things yeah. I knew about autism. Um, those were the only pictures I had of it. Um, and then, so Jacob was my first child. Um, he was born early in a low birth weight. Um, and it was quite a traumatic birth. There, you know, He had lost some oxygen. There were, there were a lot of things that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, he was early, but then brought him home from the hospital and immediately started gaining weight, had a great APCOR score in the hospital and um, put on weight, was hitting all of his milestones until about 15 months. Um, we were expats living in the UK um when he was that age came back to america things started he started regressing in certain areas around 15 months and then he was so he had a very uh, erratic development 
became where some things were so advanced, hyperlexia and things like that. And then other things, he just was, it wasn't like he wasn't hitting the milestone. He had hit a milestone and then lost it. And other things, they just weren't happening for him. School starts much earlier um, in Europe. And so I had put him in a preschool and it was just, it was awful. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was just awful for him, his separation anxiety. When I left the room, he thought that I ceased to exist. It was just oh. awful for yeah. him. But so things like that were happening. And it took, uh, Y2K happened. I had another son and we decided we just want to go back to America. There's something, something, something's not right. And then that's when we got the diagnosis of autism. It took about a year and a half to two years. Um, I would read what to expect when you were expecting. <laughs> I was looking at all of these symptoms and I would tell my other friends, he'll only eat orange foods. He won't walk on grass. The experiences that other toddlers would were just over the moon over were terrifying and we often had to leave. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, but then again, we had all of these incredible skills um, he could read, you know, and we, I had developed, we sort of had our own language by then, by the time he was three, he was not speaking at all. If, a, if he did say something, it was in complete frustration and he often did, often did it with his lips closed because um, later on we found out that he didn't like the sound, the sound of his own voice oh. was too loud for him. Okay. So those, those are the things that were coming on. We came back to America, got diagnosed. Um, we started ABA. Um, I because the, back then, back then, I was like, "Oh, I'm going to cure it." Well, I'm not going to cure uh -huh. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and who would want to cure? Because I have a fantastic, and I just have the most incredible son. So and I just yeah, there's no other way I mm -hmm. want to be. Um, we started ABA and then we started implementing biomedical interventions. Mm -hmm. and one of those things was a gluten and dairy-free diet. Uh, again, this is over 20 years ago. The products that were available oh, then yeah. commercially were- They were gross. <laughs> they were cardboard. And the links that this is pre-Amazon. <laughs> yeah. So the links that you would have to go to find them. Yeah. So just put them up on the kitchen counter and we started baking um and experimenting i mean this is pre-amazon you can't just click something and have it come to your doorstep the yeah. next day you i would have to drive 20 miles for this bread that someone had told me was fantastic and again it would be a styrofoam brick so we just put yeah. them on the counter and started figuring things out and baking is very procedure driven and at the end you get this tangible yummy you you get a reward at the end so mm -hmm. and either you get to eat it or you get to give it to somebody and then they give you positive feedback. So it was just natural for him to like, um, we visited Disney World and back then they could accommodate the special diet and the chef used to come to your table in yep. the white coat. And I think that impressed him very early on and he wanted to be a chef. That's what he wanted to do. And Aww. he had a place called Kitchen and his first pretend things were that. And then oftentimes we'd take breaks from work and he'd go make, he'd prepare his own meal. Um, later when he did 
go to a center for ABA. He had his own George Foreman grill and his own frying <laughs> pans and his own dishes there because he would make his own lunch. There was no Lunchables for him. Like he was making mm-hmm. a pork chop for lunch. So now yeah. did they, so in the ABA program, um, I, I noticed you mentioned on the website too, that he used to take baking breaks. So did they kind yeah. of incorporate some of that stuff into his goals of, um, um no, I mean, no. So it was no. just reinforcement always. So, and then later on, and I don't know how young your list, your listeners, children's uh, children are, but later on, you're going to be I don't come from a middle-class background. So very early I was cooking for myself. So it was Uh natural that it didn't make sense to me that I had, like, we didn't have to put in programs for doing your laundry or making your bed because he knew that when he was four Uh because his mom didn't grow up middle-class, you know, you're going to make your bed, you're (laughs) going to fold your laundry, you're going to clean your bathroom, you know, those kind of things. So um, those life skills that might be taught to another kid his mom just didn't have a middle class, <laughs> you know, a mom that grew up in middle class. So you were going to help out around the house. You have beautiful things. You're going to take care of them. Mm-hmm. So um, in terms of life, his life skills were very different. When you looked at adult life skills was banking. How do I fill my prescription? Those kind of things um, that, yeah, needed to be taught um, in a direct fashion. So was his, so then was um, his schooling, I know you did the ABA early on and then did he at some point um, mainstream into regular school, public school? Yeah, we tried mainstream. We, we left Indiana and went to Massachusetts when he would have been in first grade and we tried mainstreaming and it just did not work for us. Um, And then, you know, I, there's just not for us during the time to, I, it's, it's a really tough decision. So we came back to Indiana and we began ABA and then mm-hmm. we started online school and I would be what would be assumed as his one-on-one. I taught him to read and then he would have ABA, but everything was done in this very, um, but a lot of his skills would be broken down and repeated and repeated and pre- repeated in a very ABA fashion in his academics. Um, and it was, and I don't know if younger children are faced with this now, but it was a decision where do we just forget academics and allow mm-hmm. him never to be able to add and never be able to read, but then he'll have the social or do we give him academics? Um, like I said, I don't come from a middle-class background. Education was, you know, extremely important and I wanted him to have a high school diploma I thought he needed a high school diploma and you know this is back when he was eight he's going to go to college um those are things that did not happen for us and again you're always changing and you're flexible Uh my son is a success he's a great person and he will do wonderful things he just won't have a high school diploma but but back then I thought high school diploma in college because that's what you think the American dream you Uh go out and you want better for your kids. And, um, and so I thought that was his future. Um, well, and I think, I think we all do. I mean, we were talking yeah. earlier before we started about expectations and it's hard. Right. I mean, when you are pregnant and then you have a child, right. you're already planning the future for them. Yeah. I mean, I'm, and I'm doing like all looking these things. at his law school, yeah. I'm looking yep. at graduation for law school for him, yep. you know, let's, you know, yes, exactly. So I have friends who buy the doctor's bag while the baby's still in their <laughs> belly, you know, for the little ones. So uh, I get it. So, but things change and, and so much for the better. So did I have just, to say, 
I was just gonna um, say, did you just find like that he, you kind of let him lead as far as what you taught him and what yes. programs you implemented and, and when, and yeah, that's the hardest thing. I think we all are put on these timelines. And if your child right. isn't doing this by a certain age or reading or doing all these things, they never will, or they're not going to amount to anything. And it's so annoying that, you know, yeah. that we're forced to admit. Yeah. I have a lot of regrets. And one of those regrets was trying to keep them in a diploma track for as long as I did, uh-huh. because that's when we had aggressive behavior. That's when we had the oppositional behavior. That's when we had the um, OCD. Like it was just so terrible. The fact that like, you know, last weekend, Jacob made two wedding cakes. Well, I could have never imagined five or six years ago, him even attending a wedding because he would have kicked me, kicked somebody like, and I thought, well, I had, we were just prisoners in our home. And then once, yeah, once, I guess it's autonomy and all of us have that. It's like, once we can make decisions for ourselves and we start making it and we feeling more confident then all of that stuff just fell away. So I don't have to worry. Like, if you can imagine my son's six feet tall, weighs over 200 pounds, but going to the grocery store, like I still suffer some like post-traumatic stress because I would, you'd walk through the store and I would be waiting for him to hit someone or throw something or break something. And um, I was, my fear was always that the police were going to be called and that things would be taken out of my control, that some, yep. he would hurt somebody else or, you know, push someone in. It, it was just terrifying to leave the house. We like I was keeping them on that diploma track at school. And yeah, it, it was just a prison for us. And it was just a prison of my expectation because he didn't care what and we didn't have iPads and phones and all the technology. I had to make flashcards. I had three by five index cards and I would go and cut out stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we would walk around with flashcards. We did sign language. And I would say it was five or six before true speech came back in. And that was putting one or two words together. They were very rote and they were, it was very functional, but it was there. Um, and then he, once he started to read, then I would say his speech would be at the same age as his reading level, if that made sense. Uh-huh. And still now, if you were to talk to Jacob, he could answer a couple of questions, but he prefers just to be in the room and be an observer. And um, always, and this was always true that um, receptively he understands what's going on. He might not pick up all the body languages, but receptively he always had the language, but there was a big disconnection between um, what he could say and what physically could come out. And that's where a lot of the frustration was. He told me one time his tongue was in a dog cage because the words just wouldn't come out. If that makes sense to you. That's a great analogy. I haven't heard it put like that before. Yeah, so, but this was just a year or two ago, and this is him reflecting on when he was younger. Mm-hmm. So, and he still really struggles with expressing, although we have other language, and um, he could go, you know, hours without speaking, but that does not mean he's not taking in everything sure. that's yep. being said in a part of the conversation. It's just in a different way. Um, but, um, I lost my train of thought, but receptively he had, but it's nice that he, I I guess I was asking because 
Um, oh, Skylar's is- been spelling for about a year and uh-huh. I'm so hopeful that that will bring about typing or, you know, increased yeah. communication. So he can tell me, okay, this is why I hit you. This is why I pull your hair. I, you know, I right. don't mean to, or, or whatever. And he can explain his behaviors. So I, right. I imagine it's nice that Jacob was able to, to do that, to express to you, right. like, I didn't like getting to the diploma track and, you know, being in school and right. all these things. Um, I, I have to say though, that still there is a real frustration for him expressing his basic needs in mm-hmm. wants. So much like a baby would cry when they're hungry or tired, we, he still struggles a lot. We never know if he's getting sick or if he is sick. It's right. always a constant guessing game. And then, um, so that, that's, we're working on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're working on it it's those things as an infant that almost everyone has innately that we still are struggling with so I'm hungry I'm thirsty I'm feeling mm-hmm. sick I'm tired my stomach hurts those are not things he can articulate so um but we're it's yeah progress that's, there's a lot of progress still to be made so but and it can happen that's what always worries me because I'm his translator I mean because yeah. obviously Skyler can't communicate those things either but I just kind of right. know by looking at him or the way he's his mannerisms are or something that he doesn't feel well or something's wrong and then I just have to investigate what it is that's my right. fear always when he's I'm no longer here and I can't be the translator that people aren't oh. going to notice those little things and pick up on Something's but you've wrong got with a him. lot of time. And I think of 18 when we stopped school and we began no label and where my son is now. There's mm-hmm. a lot of time. There's so much time that you, you know, there's so much time. Recently we went to the ER. He um drove into the side of a car on his bike, a parked <gasps> car. Like, oh. yeah. So, but then we went to the ER and the thing was it's like but it, we went hours later because we realized that at that time he was holding his arm. And so we cleaned him up. It, it, it was like, we didn't think it, it was as he ended up, they just thought it was really like strained. There was no, there was nothing. Um, they did an x-ray and stuff like that. But my concern was because he isn't verbal, we weren't gonna get the medical treatment that was needed. Like mm-hmm. I waited hours to take him to the ER and then when we were going in, um, but luckily, yeah, they were fine. Once you turn 18 with guardianship and yeah. power, there's a whole bunch of stuff, whether you can go back and, you know, but my big concern was he wouldn't get the treat, medical treatment yeah. that he needed because he just wasn't able to say, yeah, this hurts here, you know, and yep. so, but, but it went well. So well, that's good. I'm but, glad he was yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, we did. We did the guardianship um, paperwork and the hearing and all that stuff earlier yeah. this year when he turned 18. So yeah. I'm well aware of all of that. It's crazy that we have to do that, but you know, yeah. otherwise. So, um, so around 18, you were saying that you guys, um, yeah, I guess you and your husband maybe just kind of talked about how to fulfill his goal. I mean, he wanted to be a chef and you guys wanted to somehow sure. figure out how to make that work. So how did that conversation like how did that elite come to be um, so he was turning 18 and I knew it was looming in the distance and then so I had pulled his whole entire team into a room and we included Jacob in the conversation and we I remember we had this huge dry erase board um <laughs> all of the stuff like in terms of I had on their guardianship all, all of the legal stuff I was required to do what his team was going to be doing because 
you know, it's it, you know, that's it. So yeah. 22 um, is it around yeah. here? <laughs> right. Oh, 22. Yeah. And um, so what we had to do, what our roles were, and we pulled Jacob into the conversation. Um, what do you want to do? And he said he wanted to be a chef. So I set up to make him a chef. Um, there was no question. There was no conversation with my husband. Um, you know, it was just like, this is just parenting. This is the way it's been since he was born. And it, it doesn't change just because he turns 18 and it's no longer getting in through earth science. It's now, okay, well, how do we make this a reality? Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, at first I looked at franchises and what it would cost. And the thing is he didn't want to reheat food, yeah. you know, cause that's what a franchise is. It would have been a lot easier had I gone the franchise route because they would have just given me a manual. Um, and I would yep. have just run <laughs> a manual, but that's not what he wanted to do. Um, so I did a bunch of research and it was like, well, what he wants to be a chef, what can he cook? He can make cookies, you know? So we had four cookies And then I started thinking, well, how do you bring a product like that to market? How do those things that you see local, you know, local, whatever in your grocery store, how did they get there? And we started at, I got a book from Amazon. It was like your local or how to a home-based food business, you know, here, turn your side hustle into dollars. And I read (laughs) three or four of those books. And then like anything else, I put it in a plan, broke it down. Um, and we took four cookies to our local farmer's market. I did not realize how difficult it would be to get into a farmer's market, but huh. when, um, especially in our town, it's one of the best in this. In yeah, I'm aware of that one, um, yeah. <laughs> but when I went to them and they were looking for new things, I told them, look, I, I I don't know if you need another gluten-free bakery, but this town needs a business like ours, you know? three quarters of your kids on the spectrum leaving the program have no plans. And those that go to college face an 85% unemployment rate. So this town needs this business. And I was like, I don't know if you need another gluten-free baker, you know, at your market, but this town, and luckily someone sitting on that board was the superintendent to schools, <laughs> like was retired, but he's like, okay. And they, they let me this crazy, they took a chance on me and the kids. So I had one girl to package Jacob was making the cookies. And then I had another young man to work the stand with me. And then about four weeks, we were so successful. I sent out um, new year releases. We were so successful. We added a, two more farmer's markets. And then by the end of the summer, all the goals that I, cause I had written a business plan for the first two years, we had met by like 4th of July. Nice. <laughs> it, was, it was incredible. And it was obvious that we needed our own kitchen and our own physical space. I've never run a restaurant, let alone done anything like professionally with food. And I am not a pastry chef, but yeah. So, and now there are 23 in So 20, it's in flux because some of them go back to college and then they come, you know, if you can go and do this program, like go, go get it done. So, um, but no one ever leaves. And that's one of the fabulous things about employing people on the spectrum is that much they yeah so it's around 20 employees and myself running the bakery wow so you guys opened your storefront in what 2018 yeah same uh, the week of saint patty's day i think nice yeah it was so mm -hmm. and then yeah and it's called no label at the table and um as you said you employ um 
Uh, are all of your staff on the spectrum or do you? Okay. That's so awesome. Gosh, I love that. And when I was um, walking around or looking around on your website, I mean, um, I also, I ordered several things, but I um, noticed that you have the, um, the indie makers group, the partnership with them. So, and I looked up them because I live in, in this area, I hadn't heard of that organization either, which is also incredible. So, um, how did that partnership come to be? And can you tell um, everyone about Indie Makers a little bit? Sure. So we, our shop is located in the arts and design district uh, of Carmel. All of the galleries are kind of on our street. So I had always taken one, we do something, the galleries stay open one late, one Saturday a month. So I had always taken that late Saturday to showcase an artist on the spectrum. I'd let them do their own show. Um, They could come, the store stayed open late and they can invite their family and friends and then their artwork would stay on the walls um, for that month and then we would continue to sell. Jimmy Keeble was one of the first artists we worked with. He does um, collages and prints. His mother was gathering he worked at Connor Prairie, which I don't mm-hmm. is a living history museum here in the area, and um, they have this maker's uh, studio there, and then Fisher's uh, library, the next town over, opened their Ignite studio, which is this incredible space where you can check out everything from materials to make an oil painting to using a 3D printer. So um, she gathered a group of individuals like Jimmy, who's on the spectrum, and um, they were working together pre-COVID. They were having one day a week where they would come and they'd work in the maker studio. And meeting them, I was like, "Can look, I'm buying these t-shirts and I have to hunt down these men and I'm paying them a fortune. Can your makers make these? And they started making my t-shirts using a Cricut and a heat press. And now they do all of the merchandise I was able to help. Well, in it, they're all, it's just launching five micro enterprises, helping them get a start. And now they're selling, they sell online, they have their website, but they do all of our merch in front of them to see what happens for all of them. They can really get back working together collectively as a group, but um, yeah, but they're five small businesses. We sell, they do all of our merch in the front of the shop. They sell all over Hamilton County and they do a couple of art shows. And I'm excited for them to get to work together again collectively after all this COVID stuff dies down. So, but they're each working. So they have everything from a 3D printer, cricket machine, laser engraver. Oh, they do so many things that like, and I know, I know nothing. I just say, look, can you do this for me? And then they figure it out. So it's fantastic. So but they do all of our merch in the front of the store. So it's everything from glassware, cutting boards, um, decorative boards. There's still some artwork and all of our t-shirts. They do buttons or badges, but yeah, it's lovely to work with them and really get to see. So the same vehicle my son has to live out his American dream, they all do too. And it's just these little cottage industries. Um, And I think I read something Autism Speaks had put it together about self-employment and entrepreneurship and it kind of planted the seed. Oh, it looks like Chef Jay is going to join us and talk for a few minutes. So I'm so glad he's here. What is your favorite thing to bake, Chef Jay? What do you, what's your favorite thing to bake? I know. Wait. I know. 
It's brownies. It's brownies. Brownies. It smell nice. If you can imagine, like trace and trace of brownies. Yeah. Yeah. You gonna go get dressed now? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a busy day ahead? Um, we gotta go to restaurant, Depot, Costco, Sam, Walmart, the Asian store to pick up produce. We got a busy day, right? Are you gonna help me build the make the rest of the Halloween decorations? Yeah. Wait. Yeah. Wait. We've been making spiders and bats for the window store. Ooh, window. fun. Yeah. All right. Nice to meet you, Chef Jay. Say bye. Yeah. Bye. Bye. One of the things you said that I loved so much on there too is that um that you know when you found out that he really wanted to be a chef, that um being a chef would have been impossible from the interview sure. to just any opportunities they would have probably not given him, they would have given him a dishwashing job or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I and it's so true that we run into this roadblock all the time of our kids getting an opportunity and being totally undervalued and under, you know, under, uh, estimated, I guess. Mm -hmm. so, um, so, but like you said, well, I don't know if my son, he's not really verbal. If he could work in your environment and like, uh, yeah, he could. <laughs> um, so, and, and some of my employees just work two hours a week because that's what they can do. And some work nearly full time, but there's always going to be work. And when you tell people that they're valuable, capable people, incredible things. And it, as long as you walk into it, assuming, yeah, you can do this. And I always assume, yeah, you can do it. Yeah, you can do it. Yeah. Most people are like, no, I can't. Like the other day I gave someone a knife and I'm like, okay, you got to slice the zucchini. And they're like, I, I can't have a knife. They had never held a knife before in their life. And I'm like, I, I can't do this. I'm like, uh, yeah, you can mm -hmm. just, do you push down on your fingers with it? No, <laughs> then yeah. don't do it, you know? So, but yeah. And I just assume everyone can do it. So mm -hmm. I don't know if it comes from like the super inflated sense of self that I can just do anything. So I assume that anyone can just do anything, yeah. but no, I think I'm just wired to think and see yeah, the value in everyone. So. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. It's hard, I think, as a parent, though, to um, not like I've just been doing everything for my son for the majority of his life, just because uh -huh. it's been a struggle for him to do it. And it's hard. I've got to stop, you know, babying him in a sense and doing things uh -huh. for him and, you know, letting him try, letting him possibly fail at it. And you then have learn other children, do you have other children? I do. I have a daughter who's 16. So yeah. she's doing all the neurotypical everything. Yeah. So, and was there a point when, how old was she when she realized her brother was different or um, when people started I mean, talking to her rather than him? And they said, Oh, you're, are you the bigger, even though you're the little that? Yeah. So, and maybe because I have two sons, so maybe boys are, it's just different, but yeah. And how old was she when that happened for her? They're two years apart. So, I mean, she talked early, she walked early, she did everything early and he of right. course, was super delayed for everything. But, but yeah, people think she's his, you know, we call her his yeah. little big sister because yeah. she kind of had to grow up fast and help me with things and right. you know, do whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and this is something we're struggling with now because the younger one will be graduating from college and making his plans for the world. And my fear always was that, yeah, so I didn't want him to be a burden 
on his brother, but it, it's difficult making plans. Um, yeah, so, and I, you had said your fear is, well, what will happen when I'm gone? It, just make sure for her that she knows that it's not going to have to be her responsibility, but yeah, so I, I, I don't know what's happening in your house, but yeah, so it's just tough. Yeah. It's just uh, tough. <laughs> yeah. Well, she so. wants to be a veterinarian and she's always okay. kind of joked and said like, well, he can help with the animals in the clinics and stuff. He can, you know, hold them for me and whatever. And I'm like, that'd be ideally, that would be cool if they work together, but I don't see it. <laughs> oh, okay. He can walk the dogs. So he can walk the dogs. So, yeah. yeah. So well, I don't know. So. I know you guys have an extremely busy uh, day. Um, I just okay. wanted to, to kind of leave and, and end this with um, just asking you, you know, you've already given some great pearls, but this experience of making so many dreams come true for other families with children on the spectrum oh. too. But I mean, is there anything you could share with parents who are at that stage or maybe their child is 16 and they know what they like to do, but maybe starting a business isn't, isn't for right. them, but how do you foster I, their, their skills and the things that they love to do and make that into so, a job for them? Yeah. Like, well, number one, I would tell any parent is just like you have two children, your daughter wants to be a veterinarian. So you're going to do what you're going to assume. Yeah. She's going to be a veterinarian. If she goes to cut, you know, let's let her be. A, so you need to assume that for your child with special needs, regardless if they can talk, regardless if they can walk, you need to just assume that that is true too. And yeah, you'll have people saying, oh, maybe a sheltered workshop or a day program or whatever. No, you know, if my son, you saw him, he was standing here, he's a big, strong kid. He needed to not be in a day program. He needed to be, he needed a job. He needed purpose he needed to get up so think that way about your kid regardless of you know it doesn't matter you know ability level and all of these things just make sure that you plan the same way for their future as you do your typical children don't you go ahead and uh, underestimate them do okay. something short so and it might be adjusting um yeah they might not you know, this person might not be cut out to be a doctor or a lawyer or a veterinarian, but if you know what motivates them, so uh, like, I know my son had a compulsion to complete things he liked, and that's why recipes and cooking, so when he said he wanted to be a chef, I'm like, of course, you know, he likes to complete things, he likes to finish things, he likes to build things, so find something that motivates them, uh, they say, like, you know, if you love your work, you'll never, if you follow your passion, you'll never work a day in your life, or whatever, so try and think about really what motivates them, what makes them happy, um, when my husband and I were looking for, you know, working and looking for jobs, we just we're looking, we always thought about paying bills, paying the mortgage, and we weren't necessarily happy at work, but we made a nice life for our kids. You're taking care of your kids. And from very early on with both boys, we always focused on do what makes you happy, find purpose in your work. So make sure that you're looking for those opportunities for your child with special needs. And it might be, you know, putting together model kits. It might be making something three on a 3D printer to sell on Etsy, you know, and um, just look to see what they enjoy. Do they like coloring? Well, can that trans can you take that skill and transfer it somewhere else and make it marketable? And it might not be making a business, but don't let 
others or society tell you that no, they, they're not entitled to the American dream. Mm -hmm. Go find a day program. Yeah, so go find some expensive babysitting. Don't no, <laughs> no, that's yeah, that's not the only thing. For the kids in the bakery again, um, so we have every ability level in the bakery. Um, I'm lucky that a lot of them, after being there for a while, decide to go to Ivy Tech and go to culinary school. They kind of were like, I really like this. You know, again, it's you get to make something and at the end you have something physical and then you get a lot of positive reinforcement, whether you get to eat it or you're selling it. And, you know, so uh, several of them have decided to go to Ivy Tech. There's a couple of programs here. Um, in the state to like EGTI, Erkson and Green, you know, there's a couple of programs like that, that they've transitioned to. Um, but for them and in the bakery, regardless of the ability level, it's finding what motivates them. It's finding them what's going to give them purpose. What do they enjoy doing? Like I said, compulsion to complete. Um, my son was always a good eater, so he liked eating. So it made sense, the chef, you know. But um, one of my employees loves to push. She's very physical, proprioceptive. She's always wanting that. So she makes the cereal treats. She makes the cake pops. So we're working all of that positive into her actual work. So I'm lucky enough, and I create an environment like that. Not all employers are going to be like that. But I think, yeah, just don't be short-sighted. Don't be discouraged. Plan for their future again, there might be uh, being flexible and different expectations, but plan just like you would for your typical child for their future. So don't, you know, they want to be an astronaut. Well, you know, what could you do? You know, so mm -hmm. yeah. So um, yeah, I don't, I don't know anything about science, so I can't tell you how to become an astronaut. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know anything about that kind of science. If you yeah. want to know molecular gastronomy, I've been able to figure that stuff out in the last few years. But um, yeah, but I would I would say just just like you would your typical kid, just plan the same way. You know, plan the same way. So I don't just know. observe I hope that them and figure out. Yeah, just like. find out what gets them. What, what do they enjoy doing? Well, they like lining up cars and trains. So well then let's find purposeful work. You know, let's see how is that skill marketable? Mm -hmm. Is it looking, yeah. So like, is it coding and looking for, you know, problems in code, you know, things like that. So let's yeah. see. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think one common attribute with everybody on a spectrum for the most part is steps, following steps and, you know, yeah. discipline and, you know, checking things off lists and they're just very, very um, precise in what they do. And if they're given a direction, they follow it exactly to the T and they don't deviate. So that, to me, they're the right. best employees so because just, they're punctual, they're, you know, reliable, they're yeah, dedicated. So no, yeah, no drama. You know, <laughs> So it's kind of an ideal employee for a small business. Yes. Because mm -hmm. all of the monotonous work that you would get sort of I, I hate to say neurotypical that would get burnt out doing monotonous things over and over. Some of my employees just thrive on turning over those tasks over and over packaging and packaging. So, and it would be a job that you wouldn't be able to keep somebody else in that there would be like, as you're training someone, they're walking out the door, hundred percent turnover where my, yeah. 
I have zero turnover. Yeah, so, that's yeah. good. Yeah. yeah, I noticed you have no jobs available online. So, <laughs> no, because well, if you start out, because underemployment is just the biggest problem as unemployment. So I can't just give. I couldn't operate a business if I was giving all of these people two hour shifts, yeah. 80 people two hour shifts. And so you come in, you start with a three or a four hour shift, you, you find out where they fit. And then we keep increasing the hours as they can tolerate more and more hours till they get to maxed out. So yeah, so but yeah, there's zero turnover. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, Shelly, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. I'm so glad I got to meet Chef Jay. You yeah. guys are an inspiration. I I, I, mean, I just love it. And I cannot wait to come up and get some of the baked goods because I know I can only get cookies online, right? You're only shipping cookies. Cookies, brownies, and tea breads because everything really is made in-house yeah. and there's nothing. Yeah, extend, it's real food. So yeah, the shelf life is only so long on it. Right. So, well, yeah. I'll direct people to your website. They can give it a try. Thank so, you. Thank you again so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Take care. All right, thanks. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Living the Sky Life and will tune in for the next episode coming soon. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Living the Sky Life podcast within Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play so you'll receive alerts when new episodes are released. Subscribing is the best way to ensure you don't miss a single episode. If you like what you hear, be sure to select the five-star rating, provide feedback, and share Living the Sky Life with others. Thanks again for listening.